Well, hello, everyone. My name is John Paul. I'm the Senior Manager of Public Affairs and Traffic Safety for AAA Northeast, sometimes known as AAA's Car Doctor. And this is another episode of Car Conversations With. And this time, the conversation is with Tom Closa. He is the sometimes referred to as the Dean of U.S. Oil Analysts and probably one of the foremost experts on oil and gasoline in North America. Tom, thanks for joining us on Car Conversations. Yeah, I feel like Dean Wormer in Animal House. Knowledge is good. <laughs> well, you know, as as long as as long as as long as we all understand it, you know, the oil the oil and gas market has been crazy the last few weeks. Between, uh, I think, everything from months ago with ice storms in Texas to driver shortages to ransomware in pipelines. Where, where's the market going these days? Uh, believe it or not, oil is kind of appropriately valued. And the long-term case for oil, even among the really aggressive bank, uh, banking places like Goldman Sachs, you know, they might think that we're going to get to $80 or something like that again, but their long-term price is about $50. And we'll see probably shale revitalized. It's gasoline and diesel, the refined products that have really gone nuts this year. Uh, you know, incredible demand swings, incredible behavioral changes or paroxysms in behavior, I would call it, and uh, uh, a lot of issues. Uh, and you mentioned the driver issue. You know, that's probably the one that's closest home and the one that may rear its head uh, during the actual driving season, which is more mythical than real normally, but uh, is something to watch out for this year. Yeah, and you know we've seen some of the wholesale prices spike up with the Colonial Pipeline issues. It looks like some of them are settling back down. It depends if you're on the investment side or the or the side of the line that wants to buy gasoline for to put in your car. And uh, you're happy one way and not the other way. Um, when the prices go up, retail retail prices go up pretty quick. But when the prices come down, they come down slower because the the profits made when the prices come down, right? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a rocket in feather. There's no question about it. And we were rocketing higher there for a while, and we'll probably feather a little bit lower. Yeah, you know, I've been doing this long enough to know that almost every year you talk about a little bit of a June swoon. Um, this year, probably a little bit more than normal because the wholesale prices, and you don't really even see it in the futures numbers quoted on CNBC or in some of the spot numbers for the world, but the actual prices at the terminals, particularly in the areas that were impacted by Colonial Pipeline, have gone crazy. I mean, you price normally to be competitive, and uh, in many cases, they were pricing to protect fuel. Uh, for, for fear of runouts. And we really haven't seen that kind of behavior, oh, since maybe Hurricane Katrina. And with a non-hurricane, you have to probably have to go back to 1978 or 79. You know, I, I used the line that I stole from a friend of mine. I said, you know, Joe Biden last Wednesday, he probably woke up, he looked in the mirror and he saw Jimmy Carter because it, we were real close to probably seeing some states implement odd and even uh, or some sort of restrictions on buying because it was a panic, no question about it. And well, let's talk about that for a minute. I live in the Boston area here on the East Coast. Does our gasoline come from the Colonial Pipeline or does it come from uh, the North Sea? It's a mixture. 
Um, the Colonial Pipeline provides more gasoline that comes up to New York Harbor, actually beautiful Linden, New Jersey, uh, than it used to. Um, but we also have some refineries, Delaware, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey, a few. But to give you perspective, uh, we've lost uh, more than a million barrels a day of refining in the last uh, century. Uh, we started the century with about 1.6 million barrels a day of refining in the Northeast. We're probably about 625 now because they couldn't compete. They couldn't compete with the Colonial Pipeline which is coming from really sophisticated refineries with cheap crude and cheap natural gas at the Gulf Coast. And uh, we get uh, a fair amount of gasoline from Irving Oil in Canada. And we get quite a bit from Europe. You know, here's, here's the, the, the thing that I would stress to people. A lot of people travel around the world and they think that gasoline prices in the United States are very, very cheap compared to what we see in Europe. They are on the street. But the wholesale prices or the prices that people will pay for cargoes of gasoline, ex-tax, are much, much higher in the United States than nearly all other countries. So we become a target for the foreign gasoline that's manufactured in Europe, uh, to a certain extent Brazil, and probably in the next few years on the West Coast, we'll see it as a target for stuff that comes from Asia Pacific. But New England definitely gets a lot. You know, they used to call it the Boston bingo market because so much European gasoline would come into Boston. It tends to come to New York Harbor now, but then it can't, tends to be barged up uh, to the region. And as I say, Irving Oil is probably the biggest supplier, and they're out of uh, St. John, Newfoundland. So it's sort of interesting, even around here, there was a little bit of panic when the colonial pipeline happened and gas stations were a little bit busier than normal. Um, was there a concern? Could gasoline be easily turned around and be barged in from Europe to New England? Uh, it, it would take about 14 or, or 15 days to probably move from Europe uh, to the region, but you're absolutely right. I don't know if you remember the Cheech and Chong movie, the Corsican brothers. Uh, you know, I do. Yeah, forgettable movie, but the, the, you know, it's based on the Alexander Dumas novel where one, uh, they were separated at birth and then one would always feel the pain of the other physically, even when separated by distances. That's kind of what happened with gasoline last week. People would see that the colonial pipeline was down and they'd see all the messages on social media and the pictures uh, on TV and hearing about radio about the lines and you know people were following the trucks from the terminals to the stations almost like 1978 or 79 or the Arab oil embargo and that happened not just in the states really served by colonial pipeline that was happening in California it happened down in the Florida Peninsula which is supplied by barges coming from the Gulf Coast so there was definitely this sort of associative behavior that, and I love the way it always happens. They say is what you'll hear. They say that we're not going to have enough gasoline. I'm a little worried about Memorial Day weekend because we're still seeing outages in some states and that they say there's not going to be gasoline on Memorial Day weekend or for my trip may sort of, you know, take on a life of its own on social media and in sort of the whisper network, as I call it. Uh, mm. 
crowd behavior, you know, to me has become so much more intense and unpredictable than it was year, uh, many, many years ago. And, uh, you know, there's a great quote from a French philosopher who said, given the choice, the crowd will always choose Barabbas, which if you remember, uh, you know, from the New Testament or whatever, they choose Barabbas over Jesus. And, you know, the, the vision of that is it's not the wisdom of crowds. The crowd will always make the wrong choice. Right. And I, and I think, you know, like you pointed out, the Gulf Coast of Florida, that there were shortages all over the place. You know, 50% of the station were reporting no gas. And whether you believe everything on social media, the idea that people were filling up five-gallon buckets from Home Depot with gasoline or not, um, yeah, there was there was that panic buying, which which somebody said to me early on, actually a reporter called me and said, do you recommend everybody fill up? And I'm like, no, that's one thing I don't recommend doing. Right, very frightening. John, I'll I'll give you a number on this. Uh, And I'm actually working on something I'm writing right now uh, for social media of all places. I tried to be the gasoline whisperer last week and failed miserably. So I'm going to try again. Okay. If you take all the vehicles in the country, light duty vehicles, whatever, about 280 million of them. Mm -hmm. And if you just posit that, okay, 15 gallons, and you do the math, you're going to have demand for over 4 billion gallons of motor fuel. Now, typically demand, you know, runs around 400 million gallons. So if you have everyone top off or behave that way, you have 10 times the amount of demand that you would typically have in a day. And you know, we measure gasoline supplies in days demand, and it's been around 26 days, but most of it is at the refinery gate. Most of it is in the big breakout storage tanks. If you visit beautiful Linden and Newark, New Jersey, and see those are fly in there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is along the Colonial Pipeline, and you see these massive tanks and you go, oh my goodness, there's so much gasoline. Well, here's the problem. A lot of those tanks, what they call for breakout storage, you know, Colonial will pump it to, to Atlanta and then they'll have breakout storage. And then from there, they'll pump it on a pipeline to Tennessee, Nashville, Chattanooga, uh, Knoxville. Those tanks along the way that are owned by Colonial can't be accessed. There's no way to load a truck at them. So you would literally have to, you know, drill a hole, sort of jerry rig something. And, and that's one of the problems with the system. The system is built to supply maybe one to one and a half days supply in a given 24 hour period. And here we had everyone and their brother and their nephew and their stepbrothers and so forth all up and using, you know, the the plastic bag method, which is definitely not recommended by AAA, I know. No, definitely, definitely not recommended by AAA or anyone with any common sense for that matter. Right, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. no. and. You know, people ask us all the time, you know, what influences gasoline prices? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always say to some extent, in its most basic terms, it's supply and demand. Now, certainly it's, right. you know, worldwide issues and, and economics, and you can watch the commodities market and see what goes on with gasoline. But is it, is it as simple as supply and demand? 
It's, it's, it's fairly simple. It gets a little bit more complicated in California and it may get more complicated in Massachusetts and Rhode Island and a few other East Coast states as they implement uh, some of these standards for carbon. You know, there's something they call the LCFS. You know, the oil business loves acronyms, mm -hmm. particularly uh, TLAs and FLAs, three-letter acronyms and four-letter acronyms. Yep. Anyway, and they, uh, LCFS is the low carbon fuel standard. And it's, you know, it's not a free lunch. I mean, it's, it's uh, admirable, but it's not a free lunch. And they'll argue about is it tax? It's not a tax. It's, it's a, a method of dealing with carbon to where you're penalized if you're using a lot of carbon in the whole process. And that's why California prices, along with a couple other reasons, but that's why they tend to be a dollar above what we see here on the East Coast. And of course, the big difference between the United States and Europe is in the taxes. Uh, I live in New Jersey part of the year and We've had two tax increases. Uh, we used to be among the lowest priced uh, states in the country, and now we're probably uh, you, you know in the upper third or so. Crude oil is really the biggest deal, and you know crude oil traded for a negative number last April, April two thousand and twenty, and then it traded. You know it looked like it might flirt with seventy dollars barrel this year. Uh, again, I think when you look at it. The actual long-term price for crude is probably about $50. You'll hear all sorts of break-even numbers. And the break-even numbers for the Saudis are probably 2 or $3 a barrel. Mm. You know, I could go with a shovel in some of the desert terrain and probably find some oil. The break-even price in the United States is probably about $25 or $30, unless you pay the executive suite salaries of 5 and 10 and $15 million. So... Um, we're going to see some more crude oil come out from the shale in Texas and New Mexico. Uh, and we'll probably see it slowly over the next year. No one wants to sort of kill the golden goose in terms of bring up so much that, you know, the price uh, drops like a rock again. But uh, it's, it's an incredible market. I, I traded futures and had no business doing it back in 1978 and 79. Haven't touched it since then, but the amount of crude oil that trades in a moment is more than is pumped in the world, uh, you know, on a day. It's really, you know, and it's dominated nowadays by the algorithmic traders, you know, the things that are programmed to take, uh, you know, the, it used to be the secret to commodities was buying low and selling high. Now it's buying high and selling higher or selling low and selling lower. A lot of momentum there. Hmm. No, that's a, it's an interesting way to look at it. I, I'm really good at buying high and selling low on most everything. So, um, you know, one of the things that certainly comes up and I mean, we look at, you know, how many, how much gasoline and oil gets used over a certain period of time. And we look at that gas taxes as necessary to keep our infrastructure going um, as electric vehicles, which are only half of 1% of the market, um, unless you're out in California, as they start to get more popular, what do you think is, what's your view on gas tax? Is it going to, is it going to well, have to go up or is vehicle mile travel tax going to be the answer? 
I, I think they're going to have to, I mean, they obviously are going to need the revenue from all the electric cars. It, it's a slow process, but they've talked about something called fee baits out there in California for the electric vehicles. I'm not quite sure how that works, but you, you would certainly have to you know, charge something for the privilege of using roads that were paid for, you know, largely with gas or diesel taxes. So, you know, the interesting thing to me is I, I think if you put most of the people in uh, Congress on a lie detector, and boy, I'd really advocate for that. But <laughs> I think it's high time we do that, a, a polygraph test or whatever. I, I have a few questions I yeah. like, like to ask both parties. But if you did that and you said, should gasoline taxes be raised to pay for infrastructure related to the road? I think most of them would say, yeah. You know, it's been since I think October of 1992 since the federal gas tax was, was increased. Um, but it's the third rail of American politics. If you look at some of the dialogue here in the middle of May, uh, you know, Joe Biden is being blamed for the gas outages and there's a lot of nonsense from both parties, but it's, you know, this is because of the Keystone Pipeline that, you know, he put the kibosh on it. It has nothing to do with the Keystone Pipeline whatsoever. And actually, when we had the worst of the gas lines, everything the Biden administration did was very akin to what Republican administrations would do. You know, they extended hours of service for the drivers, they uh, raised the weight limits on the tankers and so forth. They gave some temporary relief on EPA uh, vapor pressure standards. And then, you know, for a brief period of time, they waived really the untouchable element in Congress, which is the Jones Act. You know, normally, if you move anything, paper clips or oil, from one port of the United States to another, you know, from Portland, Maine to Boston, You've got to use American flag vessels. And it's very good for the union and the people that work there. Uh, but they are much more expensive than foreign flag vessels. Uh, there was a period there, I think it was after Hurricane Sandy, where uh, it costs about 15 or 25 cents to move fuel from the Gulf Coast to the Northeast. If you had a foreign tanker, probably three or four cents a gallon. So... It's, uh, but again, the Biden administration did all of that. Somebody could probably argue they might've acted a little bit quicker on uh, the Jones Act, but it, it's just unbelievable how you know, politicians will talk about gasoline and do things that have nothing to do with common sense, like you mentioned, but have everything to do with how they're perceived. The governor of Georgia, okay, Georgia was probably hardest hit by the outages and he temporarily waived uh, the state fuel taxes. That was almost like an invitation to come on in and fill up and bring your, you know, your vessels and your jugs and, and whatever, because the price is temporarily gonna be dropped because we're not gonna be collecting taxes on it. Uh, today or yesterday, the governor of Iowa, which is a long way from the colonial pipeline, already enacted uh, rules that would enable the hours for transport drivers to be extended and uh, the weight limits to be uh, waived. Uh, they're a long way from any kind of gasoline problems there, but 
you know, it's, it'll get you the press you want that, well, we're being proactive on gasoline because, you know, this is a country where, and, and you're talking to somebody who was a hunter too, gasoline and guns, you know, after God and country, it's pretty, it's pretty much in the top five or six there. So mm, yeah, along with the Red Sox and the Yankees. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is, it is certainly interesting. And, um, you know, what we saw with the colonial pipeline and the hack, do you think the other energy sectors are also sort of subject to that as well? And do you think, well, do you think $5 million was too little money? Um, you know, I was calculating it when they were still down. And think of the colonial pipeline as a toll road. And it's probably real close, $5 million, to what they collect in a single day. Now that's, you know, obviously they've got additional expenses that were tied to make sure, sure the systems are okay and so forth. So I could see it from their uh, viewpoint. Uh, you know, there are a lot of murmurs that there was not a wonderful agreement within uh, the White House and the administrative people about pursuing that action as opposed to, to waiting. Uh, saw the behavior. And uh, who knows, uh, they may have paid that in any case. Uh, I thought that perhaps uh, it, when it happened and I was asked if it was a big deal on the Friday before everything went nuts, I said, absolutely. If I were a terrorist, and I don't play that game, I don't put my yeah. if I were a terrorist hat on a lot, but I could see the Colonial Pipeline being one of the top five or six targets along with U.S. utilities. But my understanding is utilities had been mandated by law to have cybersecurity and cyber uh, insurance for interruptions. Right now, in you know, Colonial Pipeline is what they call the midstream in the oil business. Upstream is production of oil, downstream is refining and marketing, and midstream is the pipelines. And a lot of midstream companies do not have any cybersecurity. I think they're all... I'm certainly paying consultants right now to look at it and to look at how to make sure that this doesn't happen to them. Yeah, it makes absolutely makes sense. Well, somebody said to me once, there's no better way to be called a false prophet than put a date on something. Right. Um, so, but I'm going to ask you, where's, where's gasoline going to go over the summer? Uh, I think it's going to be lumpy and very volatile. I do believe that the numbers you might see this weekend are gonna come down uh, after Memorial Day weekend, all right? And then I think, you know, and I've used the term June swoon a lot in the past, but we get all dressed up for Memorial Day weekend. It's a big travel weekend. And then it's a little soft for the first few weeks of June. Yep. That together with the fact that we're gonna have a demand hangover from all of these people driving around with full tanks or whatever, I think, uh, and the fact that almost everybody in the gasoline futures market was speculating on prices going higher, I think will come off. And we have come off on the futures market, uh, you know, by about 20 cents from the top on that Sunday night uh, of the colonial shutdown. So I think we go lower. I tell you, July and August are a real crapshoot. Uh, I would, you know, my instincts would say that we're going to stay under $3 nationally. Uh, but I think that the potential for crazy uh, behavior with hurricane season, 
particularly in August. You know, July, you get a, a, some formations, but usually no impact at the Gulf Coast. I, I'm, a, I'm afraid of the panic behavior coming back again. I think that it, it takes a while to get used to uh, uh, a non-panicked atmosphere. So I think that under those circumstances, we could see, you know, revisiting the highs kind of early in the second half of the year. And then once we get through Labor Day, I, I think prices are going to descend. Mm. You know, where we are right now with $65 crude, uh, prices are a little too high based on that. The refinery margins are probably too high. And one thing refiners do is when they are motivated by profits and gasoline is quite profitable now, they will ramp up production. And there is a lot of extra production in refinery pockets simply because, you know, we had so much demand destruction uh, in the COVID year. So uh, it'll, it'll be interesting. I don't think that the summer on average will see demand anywhere near where it was in 2019, 18 or 17, which were the record years. I think that still, you know, but I think the problem is, is there, there's going to be hot spots, Cape Cod, Jersey Shore, yeah. uh, Myrtle Beach. And the greater the distance between the resort, you know, a national park, and where the terminal infrastructure is, the more likely that you might see some outages. And you can imagine if you're in, uh, 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 you know, the Cape Cod area, it's been years since I've been there, and someone sees an outage, it starts to spread on social media that, hey, Cape Cod is running out of gasoline. And uh, they could stay there, but I, I do think we might see some of that behavior. And, and the Southeast kind of set a bad example for it. Uh, earlier this month. Well, I, I think this. I think the Southeast certainly set the the idea that it can that it can happen. The you know that that here's a here's an area that doesn't get serviced by the Colonial Pipeline, and mm -hmm. because people just were crazy and doing ridiculous things that caused shortages, and you know you you factor that together, and it just. It, it, I worry a little bit. A lot of businesses are targeting after Labor Day to go back to work. And I kind right. of wonder whether that's going to have a, a spike in um, gas usage because the people that haven't been driving, haven't been their normal commute, whatever it is, um, you know, there may be a blip there as well. Yeah, I think we're okay once we get to September 15th and beyond because the recipe for gasoline changes. Now we're okay without, you know, if we don't have a hurricane, if we have a hurricane on September 16th, you know, disregard those previous comments. And, you know, I think uh, NOAA, the National Atmospheric Administration came out and said they expect kind of a normal year right. ever. But I've heard that before some years and it's hurricane after hurricane targets the, uh, you know, the East Coast or the Gulf Coast and really, you're talking about if you see probability cones anywhere from Corpus Christi, Texas, up through the rest of Texas, through Louisiana to Pascagoula, Mississippi, hard for a hurricane to come ashore there and not impact refining. Hmm. Again, uh, an insurance issue or whatever is if you're going to have tropical force or hurricane winds possible within 24 hours, you have to take down your units uh, preemptively 
because if you're operating and you go into a cold shutdown, it's kind of like, you know, you're driving down the Massachusetts turnpike and all of a sudden your engine turns off. You got a lot of different problems. At that yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I've, I've always heard that uh, it's kind of a three day window to shut down in case, in case you think the weather's, there's going to be a weather event so yeah and and largely they'll err on the side of caution you know there's a great example of uh hurricane hugo when it targeted uh, the virgin islands back in 1988 and i don't know if this is true or not but leon hess uh the owner founder of hess back then said the hurricanes always miss us and he didn't order you know, what happens is the refinery shuts down and they fill up the tanks because the tanks aren't going to blow if they got a lot of fuel. Well, Hugo went right over them and, and you know, then came ashore, I guess, in Charleston and did a lot of damage in the mainland United States and in the Virgin Islands. So uh, I, I think that any refinery manager and any company, whether public or private, if they're faced with even a small possibility that they could be hit by uh, the winds, you know, let alone the, uh, the, the wall of water, uh, they're going to shut down. And uh, yeah, it'll probably be down for a couple, of, a couple of days. And hopefully it's not long enough to, you know, to get that hurricane behavior that I've seen in Florida many times where people will fill up with gasoline and they don't have gasoline, not because there's a shortage of gasoline, but because there's very few places that have the electricity to pump it, whether at the terminal yeah. level or at the station level. I believe that some states, and Florida may be one, and I think New Jersey may be one, that after storms like Super uh, Storm Sandy, they put in some sort of rules where there's so many, there have to be so many stations that have generators that will be able to deliver fuel, uh, you know, in the event of uh, electrical shutdowns. Hmm. Yeah, I think the one thing we did learn from the pandemic is people can work at home. Oh, and, yeah. uh, and it isn't maybe, you know, three days with gas stations closed isn't a deal breaker for a lot of people now. They can do what they've been doing for the past 15 months. It, it isn't, although uh, just the mere mention, you know, and I'm a little bit afraid of it before Memorial Day. If, if you get that kind of mention of, of, you know, it's almost like what we used to hear about aliens and, you know, uh, the, the Area 41, you know, growing up. You don't, you don't know how to separate myth and legend with reality. But if there are those murmurs about, they say we're not going to have gasoline on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, you know, the crowd can just really, really upset everything. And I do worry about the crowd. You know, look at it in the last couple of years, and I'm not going to blame anyone in particular, but um, maybe it was the pandemic, but we've, we've had a propensity for wild crowd behavior, whether it was something, uh, uh, you know, that was perceived to be right wing or left wing, uh, a lot of angry crowds. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, no, no, that was an angry crowd looking for gasoline in a lot of places last week. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. So as the gas whisperer, whisper that <laughs> things are going to be okay for Memorial Day. Yeah, I think they 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 are going to be okay unless people panic and top off their tanks. They're never going to be okay when we see people topping topping off their tanks. If 
if something happens on Cape Cod where everybody believes that, you know, they're seeing outages and it's going to run out of gasoline and they all decide to fill up, that's a problem, hmm. you know, because you're probably seeing 10 times the normal demand. Uh, you know, it's particularly bad behavior, like you say, when you're, you're working from home, you don't need to commute or you're in a nice destination like the shore and you really yeah. don't need to drive great distances and stuff, but it happens. Yeah. No, it's a little bit, John, like, you know, I remember in the uh, I, I would do this in the lunchroom when we had an office and I would, you know, if you put something in there under a box and say, please don't look under this box. The one thing you can be sure of is that almost everybody will look for it. Everybody looks under the box. You're right. That's right. Hey, Tom, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your day and joining us on AAA Car Conversations. Now, it was fun.